You're listening to the Life in Christ Church Podcast, your place for life-changing messages that will build your faith and propel your life. If you enjoyed today's message, why don't you be a blessing and share it with a friend? Well, it's a pleasure to be here tonight. Amen. It's good to see all of you that have come back. I didn't scare you away. That's very nice. Amen. I feel like I've done okay on a weekend if we actually have at least as many as we had in the first few services by the last one. Amen. So it's good to be with you and Aaron and I. This is my wife, Aaron. I know that most of you have met her uh, and seen her with me. Uh, It's so nice that she's able to travel with me and not have to be alone for, oh, I think 30 years I traveled alone for years. And No? Well, that's right. Earlier... She did have some seasons where she came with She's helping me again. Had some seasons where she did come with me. But um, we're, we were empty nesters, and, and then they come back. So, so we're in the comeback season right now, you know, so we're not empty anymore. That's okay. It's okay. It is, you know. We, we love them. Amen. And we're glad to, to help them navigate. Amen. That's what us parents do. At this point in life, we can't tell them anymore. I want to tell them, but you can't. You just got to navigate, <laughs> amen? So we're doing the best we can to navigate and, and just enjoying that there, a couple of them are with us, and so we're thankful for that. But we just uh, are so blessed, uh, Aaron and I, to be grandparents now, and we've got a 16-month-old little grandbaby named Theo James, and he's just a little spitfire and just a a little character, and it's so fun because his parents are extremely laid back and phlegmatic, and he is definitely sanguine to the max, so this is going to be very interesting to watch. <laughs> totally, totally. And, uh, and then uh, uh, Drew just had little Lucy James uh, just a few weeks ago, well, a month ago, and uh, she's just a little fun little girl, and uh, we don't know, of course, what her personality is going to be like, but of course, she's a beautiful little girl. We're really excited brag on my kids only because this is kind of new. It was new to us, and it's very new to individuals, but you know, I love what's going on in the, in the younger generations. It's kind of a split because either the world has gotten to them and, and poisoned their mind to be very into this feeling like everybody owes them things and there's no responsibility and it's not my fault, it's all your fault. Either they've gotten into them like that or there's a bunch of Christians, young people now, that are just on fire for God and in my opinion, in a new way. Now it's an old way, but it's a new way because it hasn't been like it should be. What is that new way? Well, they're just all into Jesus and nothing else. Remember I said we sing songs, but we don't necessarily mean them? Remember the song, you know, I believe you're my healer, I believe you are all I need, but then we've got appointments all week long to go to the doctor, so he can't be necessarily all we need, right? You know how we, well, these kids are like that. If Jesus is all I need, then he's all I need. So they just, you know, I mean, with Drew and, uh, you know, Paul decide to have a child, and the first one 16 months ago, uh, you know, we asked him, you know, you're going to the doctor? Well, why would we go to a doctor when Jesus is all we need? Oh, okay. So are you going to do a midwife? Well, why would we do a midwife if Jesus is all we need? Well, you know, midwives are in the Bible, you know. 
So we're trying to, you know, just because it's like, seriously, you can pick and choose where you let God be Lord. And what we're really wanting to do is get back to the day when nothing else makes sense but Jesus being Lord over all. And even some of us that have preached for years, there's certain areas where you, you know, you've allowed yourself to go this direction or that direction. So to us, you know, having a baby at a hospital is no big deal. What's that? Yeah, no prenatal care, nothing. Just have a baby. And so anyhow, her friend, uh, one of her best friends is a doula. I guess a doula is someone that assists the midwife who had never done her own delivery. And so we obviously didn't need her because Drew's water broke three weeks earlier and she was on a plane while she was giving birth in the bathtub with just a friend there and her husband. <laughs> And did awesome and we were praying I mean the moment that it happened like at 5 30 in the morning I just went to another room started praying six hours later seven hours later the Holy Ghost is downloading to me this is gonna happen I'd text it to Erin she texts back it just happened and this was gonna happen it's like we all got on the team and God just did everything so awesome so this time around we're we're pros now letting them just have a baby you know what I mean but the friend of course made sure she was there early and, uh, and then, you know, was there to assist, and out came little Lucy James, and it was awesome. In fact, Erin just made a comment. She said, you know, it's kind of interesting that Drew has her babies early. And I said, well, think about it. They're completely trusting Jesus, so why wouldn't Jesus, the baby being perfectly developed, a couple weeks early before it actually puts on a couple extra pounds, let that baby come out at 6'10 or 6'11, and have it be easy because little Lucy with that final push she just well she was on the bed before she could be caught that sounds good doesn't it amen amen for some of you ladies that had maybe a little tougher delivery it's certainly nice to hear some of these stories like my mom you know who uh, actually thought maybe she had to go to the bathroom and then I started to come out who even her own family didn't know that she was pregnant when she was like what seven months or something like that because she actually lost weight after she had the baby it was less than she was when she started I said mom if it was that easy why didn't you have a whole bushel basket full there's plenty of ladies out there would have loved to enjoy you being the surrogate you know what I mean so anyhow it's just so fun to see kids that committed to Jesus that they don't need anything they just need the Lord and so I'm just really excited about the day we're living God wants to just get us all ready for heaven don't you believe that amen the chariots are gonna come the angels are getting ready to blow the trumpets Jesus is ready to come if you figure it out that a day as is a thousand years with the Lord you know what I'm saying you do all the math I figured it out one time that even if it were about 10 to 20 years before he came it would be like about a minute and a half in heaven now if it's a minute and a half in heaven then then the horses that maybe angels are gonna ride to come with Jesus to meet us in there they have to be all suited up so wouldn't in the last minute you be checking on some straps like this, just getting things and polishing some things up? Wouldn't that be how you would be because you're ready to ride, right? So think of how ready heaven is to come and meet us. And to us, it may be another year, it may be another five years, it may be another ten years. But to heaven, it's just like that. So when Jesus said before he left from the Isle of Patmos, tell them I'm coming quickly. Tell them I'm coming quickly. 
I talked to this one pastor and he said he had two kids in his church and both of these kids did not grow up in church and they were struggling in their faith to actually love and honor God. So in other words, they didn't grow up in certain religious patterns. Let me, let me help you a little bit more. We have lots of sayings. If you're not churched, you don't know some of the things we say. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory to God. Isn't Jesus wonderful? I mean, we just say stuff all the time. The Lord had to arrest me because when I would get introduced, I'd come up and kind of as filler say, glory to God, praise the Lord, God is good, hallelujah. And the Lord said, how much of that do you really mean? Because when I say God is good, I should actually follow it up with a testimony. Like how good is he? And when I say praise the Lord, don't you think it should be followed up with some type of tangibility? But we throw things out there so quickly, you know. And, and so we've got a certain type of a language that we throw out. We do. Amen. We do. So here's these two kids at this church. They don't know anything. So they can't kind of put on like a religious type of theme. They're struggling to find God. One of them was full of addictions, yada, 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 yada. Jesus appeared to both of them on the same weekend, showed up in their room, sat down with them, and among other things of setting them completely free from their addictions where it was gone instantaneously, before he left, he said, make sure you tell everybody, I'm coming soon. I'm coming very soon. And he told the exact same thing to both kids in different homes who had an experience with him that same weekend. Are you okay if we go tonight? We'll see each other in the air. Huh? Are you okay if we go tomorrow? And I can hear some, my, my daughter Chloe, she said, Dad, if he's really coming that soon, then there's things that I'm not going to be, she, okay, I'm okay with it. Amen. Oh, thank the Lord for our time tonight, the presence of the Lord, God touching people. So who in here, in your esophagus, you need a healing because while I'm sitting there in that seat, I heard the word esophagus. So something about your throat. Is there someone right there? And someone right in the back there? Amen. Does that mean, and there's someone, anyone else? And someone right there. Isn't that interesting? What, you're the first time coming here t tonight, aren't you? And so what did you need? What was wrong with your esophagus? Digestion issues like acid reflux and all that kind of horrible stuff? From Lyme disease, you want to get set free from that? Okay, so I'm going to have my wife help you with this one. I saw myself do something with you, okay, so don't be alarmed. Stand up for a second here. If you'll put your hands just like this on your chest, both hands like this, don't worry, I'm not going to touch you or my wife's going to put her hands on your hands. Hallelujah. Might have been easier if you just got out too. <laughs> Come on over here. Amen. God's going to set you free and it's all going to leave. And all that acid reflex and all that Lyme disease stuff. Do you know that Lyme disease already been, been defeated by Jesus? And as long as you're okay with it leaving. Because sometimes we get attached to our diseases because we've been around them so much and because it's been so long and because we've struggled so much with it, we actually identify with it. And if you're okay with not having Lyme disease as a friend anymore, are you? What's that? Okay, I know, but it's an ugly friend. In other words, it's someone you relate to. And if you're ready to not relate to it, whoo, I'm feeling God's presence right now. Put your hand on her. 
Fire comes on you right now in the name of Jesus. That'll set you free. That'll set you free. That lady right there and then uh, uh, that lady right there. Come on, step out right here. Amen. Let's let God touch your esophagus. Hallelujah. What's wrong with your esophagus? Okay, that's fine. She'll just put her hand on you. Amen. Amen. I'm not hitting you. It's okay. Jesus, there it is right there. You're, 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 uh, you're close to the town drunk right there. You're just really easy. Hey Amen. I mean, like, goes right into her. Double right on over. Amen. Hallelujah. That's pretty awesome. What about you, your esophagus? What's wrong? So there was cancer years ago, and, and it messed with your throat, with your esophagus? Yeah? Like, are you, are you ready for that to be touched by the Lord? In the chat set right there. Jesus' name. Father, you would not give that to me unless you already had in mind these ladies who would be set free. So I thank you for touching her in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, there'll be many other things as we go on tonight. So let's get into some of the scriptures and thank God for his word. Hallelujah. If you'd like to, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. All right. Well, why don't you go on over to Jeremiah chapter 29 for a second. While you go to Jeremiah 29, verse 11, let me just share a couple of thoughts with you. What we're going to talk about tonight, I can give you an illustration through the life of Abraham. Now, how many of you know that Abraham was given instructions by God that he would become the father of many nations? And through his seed, the world would be blessed. Ultimately, the word was being spoken to Abraham that you would father a child who would father a child, and through the lineage that started with you, the Savior would come. Amen. Thank God for that. Well, you know, Abraham was older. Sarah was past the age of childbearing. In fact, when Sarah heard what the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, spoke to Abraham, she was outside of the tent while the two of them were inside. She, uh, have you ever laughed before you realized you laughed at something? <clears throat> Very spontaneous laughter. Maybe it didn't go on for long, but just burst out because what you heard was like either ridiculous or very funny, one of the two. But nonetheless, it got a, a quick response. Well, that's what happened with her. She burst out laughing at the idea that Abraham was, was going to have a child, which means through her. And the angel then heard that and went around the tent and looked at her and said, why'd you laugh? And then she lied. Uh, I, I, I didn't laugh, but she did. So the Bible says she, con she conceived strength or she received strength to conceive because she judged him faithful, but it obviously wasn't when she first heard because she laughed. So she must have gone back once she knew that the promise was given and taken a moment to begin to rehearse in her mind the faithfulness of God throughout their lives that brought them to this point, so why wouldn't he continue to be the same faithful God to her in the next season? Well, 
you know the child was born and we thank God for that and then all of a sudden God comes to Abraham and says I want you to take your only begotten son where have we ever heard that before seems like this is a setup where God's actually going to bind himself if he hasn't already to the idea that if my covenant partner will do what I am also going to do later then it binds me to actually have to do it not that he wouldn't but it's even like a double safety on your gun take your only son and sacrifice him on the mountain now here's the interesting thing Abraham never even questioned God I mean I'd be wanting to at least do one of those timeout things wait a second timeout don't you think we can walk through this what, what, what are you saying because you all he didn't even question why because the blood covenant this isn't our subject but the blood covenant was so ratifying and it so impressed him think about this you've got a heifer you've got a female goat you've got a ram you've got a dove and you've got a pigeon and Abraham knew what to do with them God never told him to do anything but just go get these but he not only got them he cut them down in half and he placed them in the proper position to walk through the bloody halves of those animals and do a big figure eight while his covenant partner was also walking through those halves and come face to face in the blood surrounded by the carcasses and give the terms to the covenant of which we will bind ourselves by blood where we cannot fail each other or we die and that covenant was so mind-boggling and absolute that it literally permeated his being that I am now in covenant with God and he is bound as much to me as I am to him so that when God said take your only son up onto the mountain and sacrifice him Abraham did not even waver one bit he literally just went to bed he got up in the morning he saddled the donkey he got his servant and he said to his son come on we're going on a journey and it was a three-day journey <laughs> all the symbolism a three-day journey where else do we know three days is important well many different places but especially with the covenant between God and the world through his son that he would die on a cross and three days be raised up from the dead well, all that happens symbolically in Abraham and Isaac. And here's my point to all this about our sermon tonight. Isn't it interesting on the three-day journey that Abraham was taking to go up to the mountain, of which he looked at his servant when he got there and said, the lad and I are going to worship and we will be, who will be back? Well, as far as what God said, <laughs> he's going to be in ashes in an urn. So really only Abraham's coming back with the remains of Isaac. But the Bible says Abraham received Isaac back from the dead in a figurative sense. So all of a sudden you got the word figure, which means mathematical, which means he figured it out. He did the math and he came up with God bound himself for us to have the child. 
which means God is bound to have to make the child live. And if he wants me to kill him by fire, God will have to raise him up out of the ashes. So I'll do my part while I watch God raise him up out of the ashes, which means we'll both walk back down the mountain and we will be God's covenant people as much as he will be our covenant God. Now let me ask you what happened. Once he was in the throes of putting a knife in his son. Can I ask you a simple question? God called to Abraham to stop him from putting the knife in him. How many times did he call him? Does anybody remember? It was more than once. It was twice. He said his name twice. Now, if Abraham was not really planning on doing it, and God got even the first part of his name out like a syllable, eh, he would, yeah, Lord. <laughs> Come on now. Come on. If he was hoping, planning, wishing that God would do something to intervene while he took it back, he's listening for the first utterance of, eh, yeah, 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 is that me you're talking to? And he would have stopped. But now think about this. God had to use his name twice, which means Abraham. And he's Abraham! Have you ever had to talk to a child as far as crossing a street? Sorry, I'm a New Yorker too. I'm very loud just like your pastor. <laughs> Amen. I honk my horn loud. I hardly ever toot. Amen. My horn is very loud. It does, I know you could go anywhere you wanted with that. I realize there's bloopers in the pulpit, praise the Lord, but we'll just stay, keep our mind right here, focus. When I lay my horn on somebody coming from New York, it says things like, you probably shouldn't have got up today, maybe go back to bed. Or it simply says, maybe you should actually get off the road, <laughs> you're not a good driver, okay? So I'm having to really temper that part of me. I remember the first miracle that I experienced by traveling with Brother Hagen. It was in Austin, Texas, and here we were among 3,000 people, and Brother Hagen has these ladies and men that had a short leg or limb sitting on a chair, and he would tell that leg to go around, and we're watching these legs just grow out. And I'm in awe because I'm pretty much still Baptocostal, haven't yet gone all the way over, you know. I grew up not seeing any of this and not even believing that it was possible. And Brother Hagen turns around and says, Jim, you can do this. Well, I wanted to look around and see what Jim he's talking about. And he said, no, you. I said, me? He said, yeah, you. He said, now get down here and check this lady out. So this lady's in a chair, and I checked her out, and she was a good two inches, full two inches, from being normal. So right away, I deducted that probably she's only seen one side of the mountain. I know that's a little warped, but praise the Lord, that's how my mind thinks. This lady needs to have it straightened out. So I held it up like that. Brother Hagen just very nicely went like this. Now tell that to grow out. I'm a New Yorker. You know what I mean? I don't talk like him, but I am. And we, I need a little more, you know, to inspire me. You give me a little, you know, a little tap. So I just very nicely said, I, I command you to come out in Jesus' name. He touched me, he goes, how do we do? I said, we, it, it, didn't, it didn't move. We didn't do good at all. Well, I think it floored him, you know. 
almost, I'm surprised he kept me in the group, you know. <laughs> and he hits me and he says, but I said, tell it. Now you're talking my language. <laughs> right? Without even thinking. I don't mean to scare you tonight. I said, come out, in Jesus' name, just like that. Well, that thing, it got so scared, it went, <laughs> and went two inches past the other one. And I'm looking at this thing with big old eyes, not knowing what to tell him, because he's going to hit me and say, how'd we do? And I'm thinking, well, at least she gets to walk on the other side of the mountain. <laughs> sure beats only seeing one side. He hits me and said, how'd we do? I said, we overshot it. <laughs> what? And, and I watched her legs start to shake when I said that, and it came right back in there perfect. Amen. Abraham. Abraham! Have you ever had to do that to your child? Because they didn't respond to you, so it was of necessity that you said something to stop them? Are you seeing what we're talking about here? What made him like that? Because he figured it out. Now, here's the interesting thing. Once he got Isaac off, what was caught in the bush? Do you think that ram was hanging out in that bush for three days just waiting on them? No. God is an amazing planner. He had that ram moseying in that area for three days, maybe even a week. Picked it out specially to get to the right place at the right time so that when the sun comes off the altar, the ram is caught in the thicket. We are serving a God who sees the end before the beginning. I don't know about you, but if you're a bookie and you want to bet the farm, you need to find out information, praise the Lord, that's going to cause you to know what's going to happen before you bet your money. And I'm telling you, there's something about God and His character that will give you the right to act like you're well, to act like you've got your monthly bills paid, to act like your marriage is amazing, to act like your kids are on fire, to act like you're on top of the world and you're no longer bound by symptoms of any kind right in the midst of looking at them. And I want to find out that kind of information. What gives me the right to be audacious and bold with my faith. Well, no one's left so far, so good. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You mean God's into your future? God's into everybody's future. Why? Because God's into the future just as much as He's already into the past just as much as you know him to be the God of the present. Jesus Christ the same, help me, yesterday, today, and forever. Let's explain this a little bit here tonight. Romans 8 and verse 30, it says, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Is predestination accurate concerning Christianity? And the answer is absolutely. You mean God 
has predetermined who's going to get saved and who's going to hell? No. God in his predestination has placed a salvation upon everyone that at whosoever will can partake of what's been predestined for every single human being. That's why when Jesus went to the cross, he reconciled the whole world. What does that mean? He redeemed everybody in God's predestination so that anyone that hears and comes willfully will receive of his predestination. He's not making you saved and you go to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. People reject the wonderful presence of his son and the work of redemption. But think about this in terms of a God who knows the end from the beginning. He's already been somewhere before you get there. This is exciting. Isaiah 46.10. God says about God declaring the end from the beginning. There it is right there. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. If they're not yet done... As long as God and you are connected, you have nothing to worry about because in the mind of God, they are done. And it goes on to say, saying, my, uh, my counsel shall stand and I shall do all my pleasure. Well, we know Revelation uh, 1 verse 8. Come on, just, you can just rehearse these things with me, but you already know this. Jesus stood there in the Isle of Patmos talking to John, glowing in the glory of God with eyes of fire. Hallelujah. And he spoke to John and said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Saith the Lord who is, who was, and who is to come, Almighty. The 11th verse says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Let's put some of this together. He's the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, the God who knows the end before the beginning. Now, I'd say if there's anybody that you'd like to be connected to, especially if he favors you. And the amazing thing is, he favors all of us. We all individually and all collectively are God's favorites. Amen. In my my, my photos, I learn now how to put a heart on a picture so it goes to a favorite. This is one of the newest things I've learned. <laughs> and it serves me well because when I want to go and find one of those favorite pictures, I just have to go to the favorites and then they all come up instead of scrolling through all these pictures to find this one. I mean, whoever thought of that, brilliant. <laughs> we are his favorites. And if you're a favorite with a guy who knows everything about what is to come, has actually been there, and as you'll see, if he's already in the future at the same time he's in the past, at the same time he's real to you in the present, that means he probably has the ability to tweak all the different time frames at the same time. Come on, this is going to get a little sci-fi here in a second. Are you okay with that? Look over to Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 16. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 16. What did Ezekiel see? He saw a wheel in the middle of a wheel. Woo! 
What's a wheel in the middle of a wheel look like? Well, as we're going to see here, he was describing the best that he could what he saw, and I actually think he did a stellar job, and here's the reason why. It'll work so well with what we're talking about tonight. It goes on in verse 16 and says, The appearance of the wheels and their workings was like the color of beryl, and all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their workings was, now notice the phrase, as it were. He's taking something from the other world and trying to describe it with what he knows about this world. That's what makes it difficult. If there wasn't enough information in this world to describe the next, then you're going to have to do the best that you can. I mean, when you go over into Revelation and see, in a sense, it's kind of like dragons were spewing fire out of their mouth, you wouldn't have known what to actually call an Apache helicopter. You would have saw it, and you would have thought it looks kind of like a dragonfly spewing fire out of it. So you'd call it whatever you knew to call it, which was kind of like a dragon with fire. And yet today, we know what some things are. So he's describing the best he can some of the creatures that he sees, and he says it was like a wheel in the middle of the wheel. Now, when I see a wheel in the middle of the wheel, the first thing I think of is a bicycle wheel. The inner wheel is the hub. The outer wheel is the tire and the frame, correct? And what's in between the two wheels? Spokes. So the spokes connect the inner wheel to the outer wheel. The inner wheel is God. Why? Because He inhabits eternity. In other words, every ounce of time is literally consumed in God and God is consumed in it. Time doesn't have meaning without Him. He's the creator of time as time exists in Him. He doesn't have to have a yesterday, today, and forever because He lives in the realm of now. That's why now is the time for salvation because now is his time that's why now faith another word is which is a now word or a present word that's the reason why we use our faith or our belief with to God is the same thing as a reality Do you remember when Jesus said over there in Matthew and he said, if a man actually lusts upon a woman to commit adultery with her, is that as though he actually did it? What would make that so real? We've been made in the image and likeness of God. And the things you set your heart upon and your imaginations upon and your belief upon to heaven, it actually causes those things to become a reality. I remember Brother Hagin making this comment early years and years ago when I was just first in school and didn't totally understand it, but I certainly do now. He said, if you don't like where you're at today, go back to checking up on what you've been believing and what you've been speaking yesterday because you created it yourself. In other words, you become a self-fulfilling prophecy. The things that you actually believe and are moved upon to speak and act on today become your realities tomorrow. Why? Because you're made in the same image and likeness of God. What was inside of God? Creating the universe and creating the world. Notice what happened when he said, light be. What's the next thing that it says that he did? In the third verse of Genesis chapter 1. Light be, and what happened? And light was. And then what did he do? It said he saw the light. When's the last time you walked into a building and looked at the light? 
As long as the light is on, don't you just usually carry on the duties of being in the room or the building because the lights are doing their job? It's kind of like how often do you blink your eye? You would say, well, I, I don't know. We'll get a little piece of sand in there and you'll know. What do you mean? You get something in there that's bothering you and now you're aware of doing something that you're actually involuntarily not aware of at all on a regular basis. So the only time you check the lights is when they're starting to flicker and go out. Why did God look at the lights? Because he was inspecting, making sure that they were exactly what was in his heart the way he saw it which tells you God's into quality control. He doesn't flippantly make something without looking at it and making sure, because the next thing that it says is, and God said, it was good, right? Come on, go to the 31st verse of Genesis 1. It says he inspected everything that he made, and he said it was very good. <laughs> Come on, look at the kind of God we have. He's not content with you having just a little less of a limp than you had before. He wants you healed, running, and shouting the way He made you to be in the first place. Hallelujah. Come on, this is the guy that we're in cahoots with. Are you understanding? I think we all have an advantage if we stopped here and didn't know anymore. But let's go on just a little bit further. Hallelujah. Look over at Isaiah chapter 53, and I'll show you how this works. <coughs> Isaiah 53. Why are you talking about this tonight? There has to be a reason for you to be able to step over the threshold of confusion and contention. When you walk by faith, you will be presented with opposition, guaranteed. What are you going to do with opposition? Wait until you feel better to believe you're healed? Come on, anybody can do that when you start to feel better, right? No, it's right in the midst of what seems contradictory that you are able to present yourself before God and receive of His substance that changes the circumstances. One of the testimonies that I have of years ago, having uh, back in 2004, I had a perforated bowel, fell on the floor. Didn't know that what, that's what it was, but had pain inside my belly like I've never had before. Aaron never seen me hurt like that. Writhing in pain on the floor. We didn't have any insurance. I looked at her and I said, number one, we're not going to the doctor because they'll take all our money. And number two, I'm not dying because then someone else is going to marry you. That would have ticked me off. What? What? You wouldn't have done that too. <laughs> well, among other things, you know, I got up in the bed, took some painkiller the best I could to kind of some, somehow get my mind wrapped around what was going on. Instantly began to lose weight like crazy. Went from what I am today, eventually, you know, there was a, a period where I went down to 125 pounds, just skin and bones. Should have died, completely... The sunken, <laughs> you look like a skeleton. Couldn't look in the mirror. If I looked in the mirror, I'd cry. Because I'd always worked out, you know, and had some type of physique. And then, you know, you, you don't even have, it's just skin. Well, I canceled all my meetings except for one. I didn't know that I didn't cancel it. 
And part of that testimony is, you know, here I am, you know, I'd just gotten through 10 years of being the prayer and healing school director, and all of a sudden this happens to me. So the devil always tried to come and attack you in the area where you actually have an anointing. To do what? Get you to stop. Like one of my friends said, he said, the miracle is you actually wanted to live. He said, nine out of 10 people I know in that condition would just give up and die. It's easy to die. It's hard to live. The interesting thing is, Aaron and I never considered that I would die. Never thought about it. It was just a bump in the road. But for two weeks now, and this is one of the reasons why I become very, very adamant and maybe a little scary to someone I'm preaching about truth because I recognize even from some of my experiences what happens when you yield to all that gobbledygook of religion. And I went right back into thinking, oh man, it must have been something I did. See, now here comes the devil trying to make it a matter of works so that you can't receive the grace of God. See, if it's about your works, then it's not about His grace. Hey, listen, if God could save you while you were really a sinner, why can't He heal you even if you're just barely a saint, a son or a daughter? Huh? And obviously, we're not just barely anything. We're full-blown ch children of God. But my, my, my mentality there is to let you know, this, this whole religious thing that makes you feel so uh, uh, incompetent, insecure, you begin to question yourself. That's from the devil. He doesn't want you to make the connection. And two plus two equal four, so he brings in all kinds of other denominations to cause you to doubt yourself. And for two weeks I went through that until finally one night I just went out at three o'clock in the morning. You know, Aaron's feeding me this green porridge that I promise you was killing me just as bad as whatever the situation was. I mean, I even asked her a couple times, you eat some of that, I ain't eating some of that. <laughs> oh my God, she's feeding me that, you know. Three o'clock in the morning I went out and sat and the little lazy boy chair and just kind of rocked a little bit and I said, Lord, I am so sorry. I repent. I'm trying to get something that you already gave me, which takes away from what you actually did to give it to me. And it makes it look like I don't believe that you did what you said you did. If there's anyone here that's actually truthful, it's you. I said, so from this very moment on, if himself, meaning Jesus, took my infirmity and bore my sickness, and by his stripes I was healed, then I am healed, which means we will not talk about this again, which also means it's not about the green porridge that's making me healed. So I'm getting up right now, and I'm making the best chocolate milkshake that I can make, and I'm drinking the whole thing down because I literally don't care, and from this moment, I am well made a chocolate milkshake, and after you've been through what I've been through, eating that stuff I've been eating, that chocolate milkshake was one to remember. Are you here with me? <laughs> now, the next day I got up, it was a Friday, and I felt no better, but the next day, Saturday, I'm headed out to Sacramento, California, to do a meeting. Sunday morning, two services. Sunday night, one service. Morning service Monday. Night service Monday. Morning service Tuesday. Night service Tuesday night. Then drive to another place or fly to another area of Missouri and do a Sunday night, or excuse me, Wednesday night before I fly home Thursday. I didn't even know what my schedule was. I just knew I was going to California. I got up, I had my belt cranked all the way over here with brand new holes in here just to hold my britches up. You hearing me? 
I don't have enough strength to even pull my luggage out of the car. And I took my golf clubs with me, and I can't hardly even lift one to hit. But I'm playing golf, and I'm going to this meeting, and I'm preaching. And when I got to the airport, Aaron picks the luggage out of the car like it was nothing. And I grabbed it, and I didn't have enough strength to keep my back up because my, my muscles were deteriorating and walked into the, into the airport like this, got on the plane, got off the plane. Pastor saw me. He knew I was an athlete. He was an ex-athlete. He looked at me and said, oh, my God, what happened to you? I told him what happened. He looked at me and he said, well, he said, I'll tell you what, this will be a vacation for you. I'll even give you an offering when it's all done and I'll do the preaching. I said, if you do the preaching, you'll send me home in a six-foot pine box. I said, I came here to preach. I am preaching. He said, all right, all right. That Sunday morning I got up and I preached the best I could. I know I was a little bit cantankerous, you know, because I wasn't feeling good. And I got done and I'm in the back with my hands like this. He came back and he said, are you okay? I said, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, I'm did. I, I made it through. I made it. He said, well, 10 minutes we start the second service. I said, there's a second service. He said, second service, you okay? I said, I'm okay. I went out there and preached that second service. It was a little better than the first service. I went at home, I mean, I went back to the room right away without eating anything. And that afternoon as I slept, the healing power of Christ began to work in my body. And I got up, and I'm sorry to have to tell you what I'm getting ready to tell you. I got up and had a normal movement and danced all around my room. Now, I know you've never danced around your room for one of those, amen. But when you've not had one and you're dying, you will dance around the room for one of those, amen. I went to the service that night with strength that I haven't had because strength wasn't coming out of me. Now it was going into me. And in that service, I preached myself so happy. I took off and ran and had cowboy boots on. The only sad thing about it is grandma lapped me three times before I could make one lap to the front. It was so slow, but I was shouting with everything I had. I mean, in that service, there's a little girl that she's 11 years old and her back is bowed over like this, like a C. The doctor said, by time you're 21 years of age, you'll never see the sun again. I just put my finger on her and said, isn't Jesus, because I'm experiencing Jesus. What you're experiencing, you can give away. It's kind of like, you know, in Tuscaloosa, you know, I, I got off the airport and was on my way to the meeting, and I had tipped the, the shuttle guy for taking my bags at another time. Well, I put the $3 in my pocket that I got changed from, and I had a five. I said, hey, you got a few dollars left? Because, you know, it's just one bag you helped me with, but I wanted to give him at least something. I know that's kind of cheap, but anyhow, we try to do better than that now. That's a long time ago. That money's in my pocket. And I'm driving down the road to the meeting, and I see three lanes of traffic. I'm in the right lane. I see a, a, a guy on the side begging for money, holding up a sign. Well, there's no one behind me, so I just pull over like this, hit that automatic window button coming down, and I already know where it is. I just put it there. And I reach in while I'm pulling up and hand him the money because it was so fresh to me just moments ago, I put that money there. He gladly took it, and then I read his sign. It said, why lie? I just want beer. And I thought, you dog. I'm going to a service, and I just, well, 
Miller Lite all the way, baby. Okay, whatever, you know? But the point of that is, it was so real to me that I had it. It was easy to give. And healing was coming to me. I just put my finger on her shoulder, didn't say hardly anything. And the next night, she came back as straight as can be. She went to the doctor that next morning, and they took the cast off of her, which was trying to lift her up. And when the cast came up, pop, 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 and she straightened right up. And the doctor said, this is a miracle. And she came that night with x-rays of her back inverted, and new x-rays of a perfect back. That's what we're called to go to Colorado. The reason why we live there is to start this healing center and have a laboratory attached to the healing center. Folks, it's going to happen. It won't be long, but it is going to happen. And we're going to prove to the world that Jesus Christ is living. He's on the throne. And healing is still a divine grace and love of God. I'm tired of what's going on in this country. The church is non-essential. They need us a whole lot more than they know. But we've got to show them that it's real. Can you say amen? Wow, praise the Lord. Don't know how I got off on all that, but Isaiah chapter 53. We'll be done in just a few moments. But he was wounded for our transgressions, verse 5. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, wait a minute. Wait. Have you read that verse before? Does anybody in here know that verse? Have you ever thought about the guy writing this is a past tense prophet talking about a future tense event and speaking about it in present tense. Do you see that? He's talking about an event that hasn't happened, and yet he's revealing it as though it's actually right here today, and yet he's what? To the event, he's a past tense person. What's another word for a prophet? A seer. What are they seeing? God allows them to see into the future or the present. So here's a man in the past God allows to step through a portal to the future and he watches the event of Jesus hanging on the cross. He watches the cat of nine tails going across his back 39 times. He comes back to the present. And the only way he can write about it is the way that he saw it. By his stripes, we are healed, even though it hasn't happened yet. But because he saw it, it's just as good as though it's actually happened. We serve a God that sees the end from the beginning. There has to be a reason why I'm going to run when I can't run. I'm going to shout when I can't shout. There has to be a reason why I'll dance in my room when I don't have the money, knowing that the God who already saw my place of desperation has already sent the check. As simple as going to college, actually at Rama, 
I went to Wheaton College, graduated from there back in 1983, and then I went to Ramah, to, the, to Bible school. And I remember at Ramah, I started out as, <laughs> you know, I just went out there with $600 to my name in my suitcase. That's all I had. I'd been traveling on the road for three years, singing all around the country uh, in music groups. And so I'm there and I need a job. Well, I, I found this guy who was an insurance salesman, you know, for retired teachers, and, I, and, and he took me in, and I memorized the whole thing, you know, and was the top of my class within a, a week of, of studying and all this promise, you know. But then I got onto the job site, and I just couldn't make these dear old ladies who were retired teachers give up their policy for my policy when mine wasn't any better than hers, except if they gave it up and had mine, it would give me a commission. So for the first week, all I did was is I would say, now I have a policy that I want to sh Ma'am, can I be really honest with you? You need Jesus in your life. The insurance policy, I'm not going to sell you today. It's absolutely free. But Jesus is going to set you free right now. You need Him. And I got every one of them saved. I had a 97-year-old woman that wouldn't let me in the gate. She stood at her house. And I said, don't go in that door. This is a divine appointment, ma'am. You're going to receive Jesus. I mean, I led her to the Lord from the street. So I failed miserably. And I remember calling my dad and said, Dad, I'm not mooching off you. I know I'm old enough to do my own work. But if you confront me $1,000, I promise you I'll give you 110 $100 bills, crisp, brand new. By the time this year's over, I'll give it back to you. He said, son, don't even think about it. The money, the check is in the mail. Now, how did I respond before I actually saw the check? Well, according to the faithfulness of my father, all the years that I knew him, I was already writing checks. Are you out there? There has to be a reason for you to be able to defy what everyone else sees as reality when you know it's not. Look at what we see right here in Matthew 8, 16 and 17, and we'll do our best to get rid of it. So just close these thoughts down in a second here. It said, when even, wow, amen, amen, amen. Who's had problems with your lungs? God's starting to speak to me right now. God wants to heal people. Who's had problems with your lungs as far as breathing is concerned or possibly asthma or something that's trying to steal from your breath? Who's had problems in this room? Is that you? Oh, there you are again. I'm so glad you're in every service. You're just taking everything that we've got. Amen. Amen. Congestive heart failure and goes up and down. You get short of breath when you go up and down. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't have told me that because there are steps back here to the balcony. I am absolutely going to make you do them. I don't really care. Do you want to find out how healed you are? In the name of, now let me say, let me say this. After dealing with you already in two services and seeing God work in your life, wonderful things, it wouldn't probably take that long right now, would it? You're so open, ma'am. God has been doing wonderful things for you and I'm proud of you. In the name of Jesus, every bit of that congestive heart failure, I just thank God from this very moment that the Lord sets you free and that your lungs are stronger than they've ever been in years. And now you can go up and down stairs and you don't have to do it 10 times. Nine will probably be fine. And not have any problem in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just do at least two? 
go over there. Go up, come down, and then go up and come down, and then come back in here. And if you die, just we'll get you later. Amen. <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Look at what it says, verse 16 and 17. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. Is this not what the prophet actually saw happen? Now, this is really interesting that Jesus actually used this scripture to do his healings. You say, how come? Because he hadn't yet done it. Jesus hadn't done it yet. He's using this scripture to heal people, but he hasn't yet been on the cross. It says he's fulfilling the script. Now, you usually fulfill a scripture once you've actually done it. Like, in other words, it would make sense that he hung on the cross, he died, he rose out of the grave, and he started healing people to fulfill, which was actually spoken by the prophet, where he hung on the cross. But he's actually healing before he's been there. What gives him the right to heal before he's been there unless somebody else has been there? And the mind of God having Isaiah go there is just as real as Jesus going there. And Jesus knows that. That's why he could do it before he actually hung on the cross. You're here. Amen. You didn't die. That's awesome. And you're not like on the ground or anything. How are you doing? Isn't that good? Is it possible? I'm just asking a question that maybe, maybe, just maybe, God actually did heal you, and from now on, you can look for stairs to walk up. You'll never again take an elevator unless you're in New York City, one of those really tall buildings. All right? Now you can walk up and down. Walk up and down hills and enjoy the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Do you not see that this is amazing, our God, how wonderful He is. Look over at Hebrews, praise the Lord, and we'll stop with this verse honestly. Oh, there's so much we could say, but no sense wearing you out. Hallelujah. Hebrews in chapter 4. Praise the Lord. Now, i got to get there myself. There it is. Hebrews 4, and I'm going to look in verse 3. This is talking about the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt and they came to the Jordan River. Remember that? Now, two tribes actually said, I think we're just going to stay on this side of the river. Do you remember that? What caused them to want to say that? Well, Moses was instructed by God to send 12 spies into the promised land. And if you can, bring back some type of demonstration that lets us know what's going on. Well, they went into the promised land, and they actually cut down just one cluster of grapes, one cluster, one, cl one cluster of grapes and some pomegranates, and had to carry it between two men on a pole. It must have been so big and so full and so heavy that they had to have two guys carrying it between them. So when they came back and the Israelites saw the pomegranates and the grapes, they had to say, yes, the land is filled with milk and honey, and here are its fruits. Just a sample. 
That part encouraged them. But then they said, yeah, but the bad part is there's giants and there's walled cities to the sky and there's no way that we can defeat them. And two of the tribes decided to stay on the other side of the Jordan instead of going in. Remember that? Now the Bible talks about what happened is they were all filled with what? Unbelief. And they wouldn't go into the promised land until a whole generation died off and 40 years later then raised up Joshua and Caleb who were heralding the message to of the 12 spies that say, come on, they're like children's bread to us. Let's go up at once in the name of the Lord and defeat them. And finally they got their chance and of course we saw nothing but one victory after another victory after another victory. But right here, uh, there's some words about how God saw them. And it said, for we who have believed do enter the rest in accordance with his declaration that those should not enter when he said, I swore in my wrath. Now who was not going to enter into the rest? The ones that didn't believe. And notice what it says. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And this he said, although his works had been completed and prepared and waiting for all who would believe from the foundation of the world. Now I read the Amplified, but notice what it says. They didn't enter in and experience what had been waiting on them, what had been prepared for them before the foundation of the world. Do you see this? If God knows the end from the beginning, then He's just as real in the end as He is in the beginning, which means He sees every time frame at the same time. That's the wheel in the middle of the wheel. All the spokes are the different times coming out of the hub, which is God. And they intersect on different places of the wheel. But if you're the hub, the place of the future is just as real as the place of the past. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that because we've been so used to father time or the grains of sand, right? But God sees it all, which means if He cares about you, and He does, why can't He manipulate the future if you're believing Him today so that when you get there tomorrow, brother, there's no way in the world the money can get to me. The mail can't even get it to me this fast. But what you don't understand is when you believe today, God can go back into the future and make somebody give something, the past, excuse me, go back into the past, make somebody sign a check and give something that'll actually be there in an hour when the mailman comes. You think I just believe today and ask today, it's got to come tomorrow or a week from now and it's going to be late, but God's never late for anything. Why? Because He sees everything. There's got to be a reason for you to be able to shout, to be able to dance, to be able to challenge what you see with something that's greater and that is the unseen ability of God, the all-knowingness of His mind and the power that stretches to the future and to the past at the same time you're living in the present. Before the world was ever created, God had already tweaked the promised land with opportunity for 
they came up to a walled city. It was called Jericho, and it was so big and so large, they had horse races on the top. It's not coming down, brother. It's going to be here for a long time. The only thing is God knew what was going to happen before it ever happened, so he sent a band of angels. Yes, he did. Amen. Praise the Lord. And they were hanging out at Jericho when those guys were mixing the mortar and making the bricks. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot. Come on, think about this for a moment. Hallelujah! Come on, they struck up a band. They struck up a sound. They struck up a pitch and put it in the mortar. For years later, when the children of Israel would march around Jericho, wondering, what in the world are we doing? And if you've ever seen the VeggieTales version, they got hit with purple slushies. <laughs> and the Lord said, now, seven times around, and shout. And when they shouted, they hit the pitch. And when that note was hit, all the mortar crumbled like sand and the walls, ba-boom, fell flat. God tweaked that ahead of time. Prepared for His... When He likes you, He does stuff for you. He's got plans for you. He saw you this night sitting in this room and he saw you go up and down those stairs and he knew if you would obey if you will the prophet the man of God who spoke by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that in the walking of those stairs is a removing of the congestive heart disease and failure and you would have lungs of steel and be able to be stronger than most people in this room when it comes to walking upstairs you're on the 16th floor. And Come on, Mabel. Slow down. Hey, I'm ready to go, baby. That's our God. Moving on hearts. Moving on limbs right now. Checking out your disease with power to make it dissolve and disappear. Hallelujah. Is there a reason we should be a little bit optimistic? John Lake said, a real Christian is an optimistic enthusiast. Why? Because God's on your side. He's tweaked your tomorrows. He's planted things in your future. It's like a video game. And you just, I wonder what this little flower is. And you bounce yourself up there and click it. And then all these amazing things come down. So, woo! <laughs> That's awesome. 
And all day long you can find things by the grace of God that have been set there on your account to bless your life, to put you in a better job, to give you better pay, to make your home much more peaceful, praise the Lord, to give your bones and joints such longevity that you'll never have arthritis, amen, to make your heart beat so strong that you go in at 50 or 60 years of age and the doctor checks you out. I just had blood work done just the other day and the doctor said, uh, you know, you're like... Uh, you know, you're, everything's perfect. People that are in their 40s. This, this is my big year. Not 50. It's a bigger one. This is 60. He said people in 40s don't have blood work like this. And I was kind of feeling a little bit lumpy about myself. Because sometimes when you go back to Colorado, you know, the altitude has never really affected her. But there's times I feel a little bit like, man, why am I so tired? It's because I hardly spend any time there. I'm on the road, you know, at sea level. Then I go back there for four days and I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. Then I go back to sea level and go, whoa, I feel really good at sea level. Then I go back home, you know. And so I was thinking, man, there must be something wrong with me. And then I went to Buffalo, of all places, where I grew up and did some meetings there in Niagara Falls. And I thought, I've got the strength and the, you know, the, man, I feel great. I'll, and then I realized what it was. It's just, it's just making the climb, you know. And so since I figured that out, I said, you know what, from this point on, I'm going to be fine when I go to Colorado. Why in the world would I give in to some type of altitude? Hey, Amen. I mean, what happens when I fly away? Am I going to pass out? Where'd Jim go? He's in the chariot, isn't he? Oh, he's on the floor. He passed out. It's just too high for him, right? Who in this room? It's our last night. I wanted to leave you with something that you wouldn't forget so that you will always be the boldest person in the room. You'll look for, if you don't, if you don't mind me saying it this way, almost the tougher way to go about it because it literally gets in your bones, in your joints, in your blood that I want a victory so bad that I'm looking for an opportunity to believe God. So if it's a matter of crossing that line right there, I'm not going to tiptoe. I'm going to jump. What happens when you jump in? Oh, Jesus is so good. We've seen at prayer school and healing school into the hundreds and thousands of people healed by jumping. North Carolina, last story. An older lady there. I didn't know how bad she was. She had a cane. And I walked by as I was preaching, and when I walked by, I caught out of the corner of my eye her using her foot to pull her cane underneath her seat so I wouldn't see it. And I walked right by her to make her feel like she got away with it, and then I went back and said, I saw it. And then I leaned in and said, and it'll be mine before the night is over. And then I went back to preaching. No one else knew what was going on. I said it real quietly. And then at the very end, I positioned myself right by her and I said, And so now, Miss Kane, underneath your seat, give it to me. And she just looked at I said, Give it to me now. She reached down and gave it to me. And I went, Whoo! And I threw it all the way up to the front of the auditorium. I said, I guess you can't use that, can you? I said, get up. Now I didn't know how bad she was. I was expecting her to get up. She's grabbing a hold of the person in the front in the seat. And 
Poland with all her might. So I've already stepped into this. You know what I mean? My, my, my in-laws have a dairy farm. And when you go for a walk, you have to be careful what you step in. But when you're in it, you know you're in it. And then I kind of knew I was in it, so I had to keep staying in it. You know what I mean? In order to get out of it, I had to stay all the way in. So I just said, come on, get up. What's taking so long? We don't have all night. Say, oh my God, you're so mean. No, I'm messing with her because why? I can tell she's got that little bit of edge in her and she just needs a little bit of encouragement. Come on, get up. She finally got up. I said, step out here. She stepped out in the aisle and she's like this. I said, now, in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, with what you heard tonight, there's plenty of anointing sitting right there inside your bones, inside your muscles. I said, now walk. And she did this. And I said, oh my God, lady. God doesn't need your help. Stop trying to do this with your effort. Walk like someone who can walk. And she was so mad at me. I just backed up when I said that enough that if she took a swing, she'd miss me. But I provoked her, and she just looked at me like this, and she just went ahead and took off walking. And I walked like this so she couldn't get me. And then all of a sudden she realized, I'm walking! <laughs> and then I said, sorry. There's a reason you can take a step. He's been there. You don't think he fixed that step knowing when you're going to take it so that when you do, it's filled with glory, it's filled with ability, it's filled with the anointing that brings in the finances, that brings in the building, that brings in the people. I see him in the balcony, don't you? Lift your hands for a moment. Father, I thank you so much for what you're doing tonight. You're setting us free while we're listening. This is so cool. You've been here. You knew this night would be here. Every individual that's here, you saw this before the foundation of the world, before rock was put together, before the oceans were lined, before the sky was hung and the stars were placed in their, their firmament. You saw this night and the anointing that was necessary to release every one of us into the victory. I thank you, Lord, that I'm looking at nothing but uplifted hands of victorious sons and daughters of God. How amazing it is to know the end from the beginning. Who in this room right now? Very quickly as we end, Miss Sarah, if you don't mind, go on up there and play. You can still just enjoy the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Glory. Hallelujah. Come on, she's an old student of mine. I can mess with her a little bit. Amen. Hallelujah. Who in here decides right here tonight you're done with whatever's been messing with you and you're ready for the Lord to touch you? Is there anyone like that in this room? Would you make your way up to the front and let us, my wife and I, just lay hands on you? Could someone go ahead and get this right here? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, it's glorious. Let's sing that other song that lets me sing with you a little bit. How about his presence? Surround me, oh Lord. Surround me. 
sing it again. Surround me, oh while Sarah's singing just allow your heart and mind to love Jesus don't try to receive you've already been made to receive the anointing was here for you personally with your name on it so don't try to get something tonight of course you will it'll be a miracle if you don't more than a miracle if you do just love on Jesus for a second if you want to sing the song with Miss Sarah and just worship because His presence is surrounding you. Hallelujah. Let's sing it again. Oh, surround me. Thank you for listening to the Life in Christ Church podcast. Help us to continue to share the message of faith with those all over the world. Visit licchurch.com forward slash give to partner with us today.